TGIM Team RE. This is episode 322. I think the hardest part is just relaxing into this idea that you can have the most incredibly beautiful moment followed by an incredibly dark moment. And that's just the path of life. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Marcela. Marcela took her last drink September 6, 2018, and she is also here in San Diego like myself. And team, I got to tell you, when Marcela said she would agree to come on the show and talk to us about her journey, I was very excited. Marcela is someone that lives in the arena. She is learning and failing and falling and getting back up and competing against nobody but herself all of the time. She shares her journey with the world, whether it's her thoughts on sobriety or her thoughts on parenting or authentic Mexican food. She leads from the front and she leads in such a transparent way that people can't help but feel inspired by her. I started following Marcela because I loved her recipes and now... Now I follow her not only for her recipes, but I follow her because I know that she is someone that is in the arena with all of us. So thanks once again, Marcela, gracias, for giving us an hour of your time and sharing your journey with us. I'm very excited for this episode. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. A few weeks ago, I touched on the topic of judgment and how the mantra of just like me can help us detach a bit from that hard part of ourselves. When we feel judgment creep up, reminding ourselves that who we are judging is in the end a flawed human trying their best, just like me, then our armor comes down a bit. I also shared that sometimes we bring judgment into the recovery space. Whatever you want to call it, healing space, recovering space, sober journey, we make the decision to work on ourselves by quitting drinking, and when we see people doing things differently or disagreeing with our methods, we judge them. And judge invites shame in. And we all know what sulking in shame feels like, right? So I've been thinking, and if our intention is truly to help more people get better, get help, and stay on this course, we have to do the hard work of detaching from our shame. We have to recognize that we can only take responsibility for our own path and that any attempts in controlling someone else's journey honestly will serve nobody. Lara Frazier, who is a sober woman that is recovering out loud and her Instagram page is amazing, she made a post talking about how nobody gets to define your recovery but yourself. And you don't get to have an opinion on people's recovery. That's control. And control brings us closer to our ego and further from our soul's expansion. I've been thinking about how we put so much pressure on people when we put them on a pedestal. Demi Lovato, for example, she's, she's also someone that is living in the arena and falling and failing and trying and she is sharing all of this. She's been criticized a lot about her actions regarding this path. My friend Trisha from Recovery Happy Hour and I were chatting amongst other friends and sharing how hard it must be for celebrities and famous people who have millions of people watching their every move all the time. I mean, I can't imagine the pressure because the truth is that we are meant to stumble. We are meant to fall. We are meant to have a very messy path. And if you're in the spotlight, well, everyone's catching your falls. Everyone's there to see them, judge them, have an opinion on them. So I pray and I truly just hope that we are all just working towards giving ourselves and each other permission to have a messy journey and permission to have our own journey without having to explain ourselves to other people or feel like we're going to get judged all the time. All of these talks about recovering the right way got me thinking about a concept that I heard from Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead. She says this, The biggest barrier to a safe container is shame. Everybody needs a small safe place to act and talk about doing hard work. A place where you don't have to be awesome, you don't have to be cool, You actually need to be uncool, awkward, and goofy. 
We should strive to create safe containers where people can ask questions and be heard and fall apart and fall down and be afraid. Leading by fear and creating perfectionist cultures does not allow us to create safe containers. Because perfectionism has no room in a safe container. Very few people lead with the motto of be here, be seen, and be loved versus be here, be seen, and be loved if. You can't learn with your mouth closed and your head down. Safe containers are a place where your self-worth is not on the line if you make mistakes. Whoa, I think this is such a powerful message. And I truly hope that if you're listening and you're out there figuring this journey out, you feel like here at Recovery Elevator, we're able to provide a safe container for you. You matter and we are rooting for you. All right, eso es todo. And before we hear from Marcela, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe Ari almost immediately after I found it and was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things that I realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community. People all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that truly understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across some bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of our monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you all there. Marcela, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very excited to be speaking to you, Odette. I am so excited, listeners. It is March, so it's Women's Month, and Marcela is a fellow Mexicana like myself. So I am excited to have someone that's Mexican like myself. I don't get a lot of Mexican guests on here. And also someone that truly, in my opinion, is just standing in her truth and just unapologetically owning that power that I think for a lot of us, it takes a while to get there. So thank you so much for taking the time, Marcela. I really appreciate it. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you. Yeah, I think... uh... Just like everybody else, I have, I'm flawed and I have tremendous insecurities, but I think age just kind of put, put me, I can't speak for anybody else, in a place that, you know, and before you started recording, I was like, I'm willing to talk about anything at this point. So I think age just leads you down a path where you're like, I only get one shot at this life. I need to live it authentically because if I don't, and if I continue on this path where I'm pleasing everybody else and I'm hiding any of my truth. Uh, you get sick and you die unhappy. So now I'm all like, everything's on the table. It's all good. <laughs> yes. And I, I know we'll get more into that, but I know that you are of the belief that we're just constantly evolving and constantly growing. And I think that I, I was, someone was asking me a few weeks ago, like, what's the difference between just being sober and not drinking and what's being in recovery? And I, and I said, you know, being in recovery, I feel like sometimes has a bad rep, but what it actually means is just that you are in this growth mindset where you just want to learn more about yourself and you're humble enough to kind of bump into the same walls and and question if you're changing, if you're reacting the same ways and just having that brutal honesty with yourself, which I also feel like I see a lot of you reflecting that type of thought process in how you're living life. Thank you. And and let's make it impeccably clear. Like everything I'm going to speak of today, I'm speaking from my own perspective and path and journey. And sometimes the opinion can be unpopular. Because for example, all the terms you just mentioned, like I don't identify with any of them. I have no idea. I didn't go through a traditional program. 
I come from a long line of alcoholics, so I found my own path that we can discuss later. And I think uh, our psyche always asks us to put ourselves in some sort of box or category. And part of my personal journey to healing that I'm still on and never ends is forgetting about all labels and boxes and relaxing into this idea that I can forge my own path in what it means to be happy and addiction free. And I don't think I even like the word recovery, honestly, for me, I feel, and I, like I said, no judgment because I am living a very fulfilled and happy life. And I feel like recovery still sounds like you're in the middle of it and you're always working. And it's, I think the hardest part is just relaxing into this idea that you can have the most incredibly beautiful moment followed by an incredibly dark moment. And that's just the path of life. And I think, you know, in our constant need to avoid any kind of pain, we only cause more pain. And I think in this understanding that there's pain that's going to come and it's okay. And it's a part of the journey. And I think it just kind of, like I said, just kind of saying for me, I don't want any label. I just want to continue on this path that just leads to my truth, you know? Yes. And whatever that may look like. And like you said, it may look like something today and it may look totally different tomorrow. I think this also this idea of fitting into a box comes with then what if I change my mind? What if I don't want to be here anymore? And I feel like that creates a lot of weird dilemmas inside of humans because then we feel like we can't change or change our minds. And so I like that the mission is just this pursuit of of your own truth. And yeah, and I, I follow you and, and you guys, I'm a big fan of Marcela and we're we're neighbors. So it all it's it's funny how everything happens in the world. But then when I when I asked if you wanted to be on the show, Marcela, this was one of the reasons because it's for lack of a better term, a, a different non-conventional story from what we typically hear on here, which is maybe more 12-step or structured or identify as alcoholic, identify as blank, you know, and I feel like we lose a lot of people in the cracks of all of those definitions that you're talking about. So I'm very interested in how different your journey has been because there are people out yeah. there as well that, that don't identify with any of these labels. So like, do you even remember the yeah. last time you had a drink? Do you have a date or is it just more like of an, I do. I would. Yeah. So what's your sober birthday? Yeah. Well, I, and I didn't, and it wasn't because I, I actually had to go into my WhatsApp because I know the conversation that, that hap- I know the event that inspired my uh, the birth of my sobriety. It was without giving any names, and and it's not because I don't want to be truthful. It's because I feel sometimes that sh- I can share my story, but I don't have the right to share anybody else's story. It's Agreed. not that I want to keep anything hidden, you know. Right. But someone in my family that I'd never seen um, inebriated drunk, I saw them drunk for the first time in my life, and it it. It, it just gave me chills saying it out loud. Like it, uh, it broke me. And from that day, I said, I can't control what this person does. It is their life. But if I have such a negative reaction to it, the only way that I felt that I could control it was to eliminate that thing, that external element that made me see this person that I loved with all of my being in that state. Like alcohol became the enemy for me. And it's odd because alcoholism and what it did to my family has always been present because even before that day, it's something that we t- I talk about openly with my sister. Like there's no shame in, in our game. And we talk about it a lot. And even with all that I lived through in my childhood, with my family, with my parents, with their relationship, that wasn't enough to for me to say alcohol is the enemy. And it's not until I saw it in this one person. And then I realized that that day I was like, I, I don't want this in my life anymore. And I didn't tell anybody for weeks and months. I was just like, no, thanks. I'm good. Not even Philip. And, and he's so cool in the sense that he's so comfortable. He, he does drink like a tequila. Uh, he sips a tequila, like maybe once or twice a month. Like he's super, he has no dependency on alcohol. And he would be like, do you want a glass of wine? I'd be nothing. So he didn't even notice until a couple months in that I was like, I haven't had a drink in two months. And he's like, oh, cool. That's great. Are you not drinking anymore? And I'm like, no. And that was just, that was that conversation. Like it wasn't even a big deal, but it was, it happened to be my sister's birthday 
I went back because I wanted to know the date because I wanted to know like maybe six months in, I was like, I want to know how long I've been sober. I honestly didn't know. I wasn't counting the days. And I went back and I saw the date and it was September 6th of what's 2021 now of 2018. And before you know it, it's 2021 and you haven't had a sip of alcohol. <laughs> and, and no cravings. And like I said, I might be, it might be difficult for someone to hear this because I was a, heavy drinker from when I was probably, I started around 14, 13, 14. It was just a part of my upbringing and on and off a really heavy drinker until that day. I had a, I I developed a low tolerance for it. So when it used to be half a bottle or a bottle at the club, it became, I couldn't do more than three or four glasses of wine without going cross-eyed. So it wasn't the same amount, but there still was very much a dependency and a craving. And I, it's very difficult for me to explain how after that incident, the craving uh, was gone. So I, I am sorry for anybody listening because I know that for some people, and I know it because in my life, I'm still surrounded by many people who are dependent on alcohol that can't let go. For me, it wasn't that path. I can sit with alcohol. I can see it in front of me. People can drink it around me. And I, and I, and I have no issues with it at the moment. No, and I and and you don't even have to ap- apologize because you have no control of whether or not that feeling is going to come up in you the way that it maybe it does come for a lot of people and yeah. It's yeah. it's it's so strange because I hear so many different answers across the board from people saying uh quitting drinking has been the hardest thing I've ever done to uh, quitting drinking was actually the easy part. It was all the shit that came afterwards, all the work that I realized that I wasn't doing that I had to do. That's hard, yeah. not not drinking. Yeah. So there's definitely a, a variety of answers. And I appreciate your candidness because, uh, you know, it, it's different for everyone. And I do feel like what happened and that you shared that moment at your sister's birthday I think a lot of people still have that cognitive dissonance. And it just, to me, sounds from an outsider, like your Mm. mind, your body, your spirit, everything aligned to where you could see things differently, because it's not like you weren't exposed to those environments, but you were just, you were just ready. You were just ready for a different perspective, I guess. Yeah. And and you know what, what you were saying, like, for me, it became easy because not drinking eliminated so much anxiety and planning that I had to do around alcohol like silly things like who's gonna drive and what am I gonna be able to do the next day if I'm gonna be hungover and designated driver and what if I say something stupid and then sometimes needing to apologize the next day like it eliminated so much freaking drama from my life from microaggressions to big aggressions it just put me in a place of there were there were very little variables that I had to be concerned with once I eliminated alcohol from my life. And I'm really fortunate. I People send me messages all the time because I speak openly about sobriety. And they're like, it's hard for me because my husband is a drinker and my all my friends are drinkers. And, and I think that I had a huge advantage in that sense that, like I said, Philip drinks very little. And I'm not a very social person, just by nature, by personality. So I'm rarely in a situation where I'm sitting with 20 people that are like, you know, pounding tequila or whatever. And I have very little tolerance for uh, late evening events. I'm usually in bed by nine, as opposed to my youth when I could party for three days straight. (laughs) So I think my my life circumstances also made it uh, a little bit easier for me to you know, not be exposed, perhaps. Every once in a while, I do run into that person that's like, come on, have a drink. And it's very easy. You know, I used to like try to be like, no, no, thank you. And now I have no patience for it. I'm like, my dad or my family members are alcoholics. And I don't, you know, why would you want to offer me that? Like, I'm so straightforward (laughs) to at this point, because I just want to shut down the conversation. And they always stare back at me like, okay, sorry. (laughs) You're just like, I just just gonna give it to you straight. I'm, I swear to God, and it eliminates like a 50 minute back and forth of them coming to the because you make sober people make drinkers very uncomfortable. I, I don't know what the psychology is behind that, but maybe you know. But when somebody's sober at a table and then everybody else is drinking, I feel like you make other people uncomfortable. So I nip that shit in the bud. I'm like, nope, not gonna happen because of X, Y, and Z. And believe me, they leave me alone after that. 
Yeah, I love that you have that confidence. You are right. And there is a lot of people who do talk about that, you know, how people have this weird reaction when there's a sober person in the room. And I mean, there's so many, once again, there's so many answers about this, whether people get uncomfortable because it, it then brings up things within them that maybe they're not addressing or whatever, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, lo- I like what yeah, you said, I- because this is a question that I usually ask at the beginning, but I totally skip through it because I know that I can get to the meaty stuff with you right away. But I mean, you said you freed up basically mental space time, energy, everything that is such an important resource for us, especially someone like you who's super busy. So I didn't even get a chance to ask so that listeners who aren't familiar with you know, what does your even day-to-day look like? Tell us you have a family, you have a business, you are this person who's hosting classes for a thousand people on Zoom because you're an amazing chef. Like you don't have that type of time to spare these days. Yeah, I don't have time to bullshit anymore. And I'm really focused on my goals. And alcohol is taking it away from me. And I I feel at some point we do need to jump into why AA didn't work for me because I did try it. And I feel like um, one of the biggest reasons that I felt that it didn't work for me is because, again, unpopular opinion. I, you know, quitting cold turkey puts you like on a path of either binging or abstinence. And for me, it, it took a while to get there. Like it took a while to come to this whole realization. And on that journey till September 6th came, I start. it started to get, like I said, my body wasn't handling it well anymore. I really wanted to focus on my work. I had these two babies and I fucked up my first family. I can't say fucked up because everything happens for a reason, but that relationship didn't work out. And I was like, there's just so many things. There's just so many things that I want to focus on that have nothing to do with and, and alcohol, there's just no space for it at this point. And, and yeah, like, I have no time for it. I really don't. I really don't. And there's also a huge part of me, because I was doing all of that inner work, I really went, my, my yoga path was actually really helpful for me. I was determined to find what was making me want to, like, take off that edge, right? Like, I, I needed to know, because I'm a speaker, and I need to understand things and I need to understand myself. I was really curious to understand that whole thought process that made the hamster wheel stop turning when I sat down with that glass of wine. Like I really needed to understand and I really wanted to see, here's the thing. We usually see sober people or I did, I can't speak about anybody else as weak like, oh, that person can't handle like alcohol. So he has to not drink. Like I remember that growing up, alcohol was such a huge part and a part about being masculine and being cool and being mm-hmm. out, was being able to handle your drinks and your alcohol. And you're so cool because you can drink six tequila shots and you're still dancing on the, like it was a part of being, it's crazy and ironic that it was associated to power and coolness. And I twisted that and I said, there is so much power, so much more power in facing whatever is making me want to drink and facing it head on, facing that darkness that I'm trying to kind of, you know, diminish with a little bit of alcohol here and a little bit of alcohol there. That's power. That's ultimate control of my body and my emotions. And there is no external source that can regulate how I feel. That is power. And I think I really, really kind of embraced that idea that sobriety for me meant I had a float of courage Mm. that maybe other people did not have because it takes a lot of courage to face whatever is making you want to have that drink. Completely. Total truth bomb. Because in the end, what happens when we want to take off the edge, whether it's with alcohol, food, shopping, whatever it is we choose to do to bolt, ultimately what we're doing, and I I heard this from Glennon Doyle, is we don't have the courage or we think we don't, we think we don't have it because we actually do have it, but we feel like we don't have the strength to just stay with ourselves. We can't stay with ourselves long enough. And when I heard it that way, she said something like, the ultimate form of self-care is staying with myself when all I want to do is run because ultimately it's that 
it's that bolting. And I love that you were able yeah. to kind of reframe to where you understood how powerful it was instead of all of these social narratives where you're right, you know, and for a working <laughs> chingona badass woman who's trying to make it in this world, a lot of the times it's like, oh, I drink whiskey or tequila, like the men around me totally. and I can sit with them. Totally. And, and no, yeah. like it, it it doesn't have to be that way. And for you to able to make that exactly. transition, that had to be so powerful. I remember, and I know you read that book too, the uh, Quit Like a Woman with Holly. She said, it yeah. is the most ironic thing to me that women go out there and do, for example, a woman's march. And then after the woman's march, they go to a bar and they get hammered to celebrate. If you're yeah. truly yeah. wanting to get power, then why then go celebrate with something that disables that you? takes away your power. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it takes away your power. Yeah, I feel it totally takes away your power. And we are conditioned to think and that's why I stopped promoting alcohol obviously because I wasn't drinking it I was actually it's a funny story like this was a massive contract for me like a six-figure contract to work with a huge tequila brand and I was like I don't drink I'm useless to you and they're like it's okay if you don't drink it are you willing to cook with it and I actually thought about it and I was like I refuse to be a part of the machine that tells you that you need alcohol to survive you don't and I feel like that's why it bugs the hell out of me to see like yoga retreats that offer like wine drinking at night and being like, you know, uh, the homeschooling situation, like associated with alcohol so that you can survive that. Like to me, it's like giving away all of your power. And like I said, there was no judgment. I did it for God knows how many years. So who am I to say that it's wrong? I I'm just saying I am no longer willing to be a part of that marketing machine created by big alcohol, where it's us women selling alcohol to other women. Subtly, like in a subtle way, in a very in your face way, we are told constantly on social media, in magazines, by the biggest influencers, by the biggest celebrities, as a joke, that you need alcohol to survive anything. And that's why I keep saying, and I posted this the other day, I feel more powerful because I don't. I truly don't. I'm not perfect. I have to drink some caffeine. I have to drink a Coke every time I do the cooking. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, mm-hmm. I use the phone a lot. There's an addiction there. Like, I'm, 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 there's definitely things that I lean on. But I feel a tremendous amount of pride and power in saying something that people consider as important as oxygen. I don't need it. And that, to me, is power. Completely powerful. And I, I love, I'm always giving high praises and applauses to, you know, to parents who are who are doing this, because ultimately, yes, our kids will realize that, like, I don't need, I don't need it to, to become something I already am. And I, I just, I know that, yeah. like you, I'm not perfect at all. I have a, plenty of flaws. And I know that I cannot exempt my kids from whatever shit they're going to bump into. But at least I'm like, I'm just hope that I I'm hoping that I can teach them that they can sit with themselves and sit with discomfort and and just handle it. Like you said, head on. Yeah. 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 It's I was cr- thinking about that the other day because uh, what was I think? What flaw was I thinking about myself? It had to do with my relationship with Philip. And I won't I won't get into that because, like I said, that's part of his story. But I am flawed in many ways. And because of my the alcoholism in my family. Obviously, that seeps into your relationship. So I have some issues there with like trust or whatever. It's just a normal shit that like, you know, adult children of alcoholics deal with. Yes. And uh, thank the Lord, it doesn't, it, it's not, you know, our, my relationship is good. It's solid. It's a strong relationship. But I was laughing and telling him the other day, listen, man, I don't know how many things I'm going to conquer in this lifetime, but I conquered alcohol. And that's big. So all this other shit we're just going to have to deal with because I don't know if I can conquer all of it. I'm never going to get to like ascension. I'm never going to be the freaking Buddha. But alcohol has been stopped. My lineage that has probably been around since God knows when, since the existence of alcohol (laughs) and my family, it stopped with me. And that's massive. Like I can die knowing that I put a stop to like a horrible addiction that's been in my family forever. And that's something to feel really good about. And it also puts, like I said, other things in perspective. Listen, I might not be able to resolve like not drinking caffeine in this lifetime, whatever. Or I might not able to resolve 
all of my trust issues in this life, whatever, like I continue to work on myself, but I'm also much more compassionate with myself, with my mistakes, because I have this one trophy that's massive and it allows me to be kind to myself when I mess up. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. So this is a great path into me wanting to go back and say, you know, you realized I need to not only not drink, but I want to get to the root of it. Because if you don't find the root of it, then yeah. it, it, it it's hard to to keep gaining momentum if you're not even addressing the root of it. So what what did you find and and how for me, what you said resonated of now I'm able to be more compassionate towards myself. How did you shift from confronting your shit and being like, holy crap, to kind of finding a, a softness, a soft entry point to yourself instead of giving yourself a hard time? What helped? That's a great question. And I was trying to come up with like a, like a, como una respuesta concisa, like a, like a, like a small answer to it. And there isn't, it's been a path. It's been a journey. I am blessed. I don't know if you've met Karina in person, but in the moments where I have found myself disgusting, when I've hated myself, when I've done something horrible, when I feel like I will not be able to recover from that mistake, she has been there mm -hmm. to remind me of my light. And I, and I pray for that for every person on earth, because if you don't have that one person that sees beauty in you when you simply cannot, mm -hmm. I don't know how you manage this. I, I really don't like she has constantly been the voice that reminds me of my light and of my gifts and of my generous way to give love to those I love that has made me soften the tone of my inner voice. She has been a massive, massive, huge part of it. I just want to say I love that you have each other listeners. Karina is Marcela's mm. sister and I you yes. can I've never met her in person. You can just tell from their interactions that you see on social media you guys are soulmates. You know, a soulmate doesn't have to be a a, a partner, a relationship yeah. with I love that you she can be there for you and you're probably there for her in another way that she needs you to show up for her in that sense. So that's so neat that you have her. And I guess my question was, oh, did you find also maybe not a concise answer, but did you find what was the root? Because we do say drinking is but a symptom. Like I found ah, that I drank yeah. because I wanted to be accepted or whatever. Did you get to something? Yeah, Gabor Mate, when I read a lot of his books, I don't know if I said his name right. He said, don't ask why the addiction ask why the pain mm. and childhood stuff mm -hmm. childhood stuff that had to do with not going to get into too much detail but it had to do with abuse it had to do with the alcoholics in my in, on both sides of my family it had to do with abandonment issues and I mean I can tell you it's a laundry list but at the same time I feel like that laundry list when you're open with people And this is another reason why AA did not work for me. I equated anonymity with shame. Yes. And a huge part of my healing has come with speaking the shit out of my problems. <laughs> <laughs> so like strangers on the street. And you have no idea the gems and the gifts and the knowledge that has come to me from that openness. And, in, and the point I was trying to make is, that list that I have, holy shit. Like I share it with like 50% of the people that I talk to. Like it's crazy. because we think of trauma as like this massive, like life changing event that you were, that it was a horrible thing that happened. And trauma is a spectrum. And I think unless you grew up in an actual literal bubble, you don't escape trauma. Mm. That's part of the human experience. And I think the messaging has been, there is trauma, there's this event, and you must face it, and you must heal. And trauma can stretch out in, to your, it can be your entire, entire childhood. Trauma doesn't have to necessarily be something that happened to you. Trauma can be something that didn't happen and was supposed to happen during your childhood. Like trauma is so many things. And trauma is not a bad word. It's a part of the human experience. It's a part, it's how we're made. It's how we're shaped as humans. You don't escape trauma. No matter how happy your childhood was, unless you were like in a box, it is impossible that you didn't experience some form or something on the spectrum of trauma. 
And in sharing my story, I, I found just so much healing. And more than anything, more than anybody giving me solutions, it stopped making me feel like an alien. And like I lived this, the, the loneliness that comes from the shame, right? It, 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 it removed that element. So that's just what I needed to face. So, so for me, a huge part of, you know, the answer to the question, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. The pain was simply a childhood that for many of us was just, is common. Mm. And in sharing those experiences without shame, my soul just rested. It did. Your soul rested and, and you're able, I think with every share, you're able to chip away. It's like this like huge marble stone and you're you're chipping away at the shame with every share. And the cool thing is, just like you said, you know, you're you're helping yourself, you're helping others, because just like you, there's millions of people who, you know, I can't keep it to myself. I, I'm you and I are very similar. I I'm easy to open up and I realize I'm thankful because I realize how many people actually do have a hard time talking about it. And then it's all yeah. inside, you know, it's all inside of them. And it's really hard to process it out if you're just full of these secrets and this shame. And like you said, I, I really like that differenti differentiation with trauma. They say, you know, there's big T trauma, which is what you were saying, you know, an, an event, uh, uh, one situation. And then there's little T yeah. trauma that nobody wants to talk about. It could be little yeah. behaviors that added throughout the years that could be things like you said that never even happened to you but it all adds yeah. up and yes we can't escape from it but the cool thing is is that we can also grow and heal so much from it but we have to have that courage that you were talking about to face it because you either well, decide yeah. to walk on eggshells and like oh I'm just gonna pretend like I don't have any trauma blah 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 obviously you're trying to protect yourself but there's no way that you can tap into your potential if you don't can leverage that trauma to your advantage. Yeah. And I think a really important thing to mention here, you talked about protecting yourself. I think a lot of the times we don't want to talk about it is because we're being ungrateful or not loyal to the home that we grew up in. Yeah. So we, especially as Latinas, you shut up and you, and it's incredible that we are not willing to see what we are not able to see what happened and also be grateful for our parents at the same time. You can love them and they can love you. And that doesn't need to change when you address whatever it was that happened in your upbringing that they may have been a part of. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, I think that was the biggest step. It, it, it was just being able to say these people that I love more than anything in life that gave me life, that I will always be grateful for and honor with all of my being, yeah, there's still issues that I need to heal because of my relationship with them. And I think that's a huge part of the recovery or sobriety or healing journey is to understand that, that it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. you, you can love your parents and you can be grateful to your parents and you can be loyal to your parents while also facing whatever or your family or whoever you grew up with or whatever issue you're dealing with you can there can they can coexist those two elements the element of healing can exist in a space of love towards the same person you know and I think that's so important to to speak of yeah because like you're saying I think a lot of what adds on to that shame is you don't want to sound like you were ungrateful and you said totally it's a exactly. very much latina rooted in our background of like you look at everything that you did have but i think it's back to the first first part of our conversation where we talked about labels and and we feel that things can't coexist like you said we feel like you're either traumatized or grateful we want to we want to just separate the the yeah. things into whatever box they are and it has to yeah. be an understanding of how they just collide but but it is hard and I think especially with older generations my mom is just starting to want to talk about these things but I feel like she thinks that she wasn't a good mom if I want to talk about this and I'm like mom you were a great yeah. you're a great mom still it's just and also letting her know just saying that statement it wasn't your fault I felt like just yeah. telling her that because as parents I mean now you and I have young kids it's like Shit, man. It's it's a lot. This is a big deal raising humans. 
Oh my God. I say that all the time. Like, you know that my kids are like the center of my universe. And I'm like, dude, why did I do three? I don't know if I could handle three. I am responsible for three human lives. What if I, what did I, what if I should have just stayed like childless for the rest of my life? Obviously they are our biggest teachers and it is through them that I found all of my healing. Like they are the reason, but yeah, man, it's a massive responsibility and having and reading all the damn books and having a little bit more awareness they're, oh, that's heavy. Because now you know what you're doing. You know what your words, the weight of your words, the weight of your actions, the weight of your relationship, like, you know, the weight of things, when you do a little bit of research on this stuff, and you do a little bit of work, and it just, it makes the parenting journey just so much more interesting, because you know, your responsibility. Yeah, but I feel like it's so cool that, you know, there's all these books and all these tools, but I, I think that just by sitting in our own truths, what a, what a gift for them, you know. I I I think that yeah. whatever their their path needs to be, whatever their trauma that we won't be able to prevent, I think it's going to be really cool to look back. And I mean, I'm hoping I'm a forever optimist that they were they'll be able to see what authenticity even means, you know, what it looks like in their family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's literally it's it's beautiful how you express that because. That when I say I'm flawed, oh, bigly. And that's one of my biggest flaws. I am, and many things I have been able to conquer in this lifetime, but feeling like, and I, and I, and I repeat this in my head many times. Sometimes I hate being a mother because I feel that I'm so bad at it. And even just saying that statement gave me some relief because I knew that the desperation and anger and anxiety had nothing to do with the three little humans that I was gifted with. The anxiety that I feel around motherhood has everything to do with me and how I feel about myself and how my thoughts work. And every once in a while, when I'm feeling like I'm messing up or the kids, I remind myself that obviously it's not about the children. It's about my thought process Mm -hmm. around everything I do with regards to them. So that, that one is huge for me. My, my role as a mother in this life is probably my biggest anxiety. And like I said before, having conquering this part of it, the alcohol part of it, that that is a point uh, in my favor with that inner battle. A hundred percent agree. Like you said, these narratives of homeschooling with wine or being able to have a drink just to relax because you had such a hard day with the kids, you know, it. I'm at a point where it does kind of it does bother me. It used to be funny a long time ago with all the memes and stuff. But now I'm like, no, like, what are we teaching our, our kids? And yeah it, yeah, and it all comes back to you because something that isn't even related to alcohol is this uh, and also comes from our Latina culture is, you know, you put everyone first, not yourself. And I feel like I've slowly discovered that anything around me that is happening the way that it is, is a byproduct of how much time I'm choosing to spend on myself or not. So having to flip that script where I understand how valuable it is for my family and for my kids to take care of myself first, it feels good. Like you said earlier, we're both in our pajamas right now. We're not together, but we're both, you know, understanding that we need to recover in terms of just physically from a hard day. We need to put ourselves first. We need to fulfill our ambitions in order for our family to actually work. And I feel like for me, at least, I was raised with a completely opposite script. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a part of our culture. And I posted about this the other day. It's almost like the more you suffer, the better woman, mother matriarch you are. Yes. It's literally like, I'm going to put up with all of this shit from a man because la familia. Mm -hmm. I am going to not sleep at night because I'm going to clean the house and it's going to be spotless because la familia and my kids and I'm going to cook for 20 hours straight and I'm going to balance 7,000 things to keep this house in or and it's like I'm going to move I'm going to do all of these things that sacrifice who I am and and my authenticity and what I really want to be doing right now with my life for a cause and like where's the medal at the end of that what does that teach your children to sacrifice all that you are and your authenticity for, you know, there's definitely compromise that you have to do make while you, when you're in a family unit. Like I'm not speaking about that. There's a partnership. There's things that happen and shift and change and you discuss and it's an even back and forth and it's fair and it feels beautiful and it feels uh, like you're all fighting for the same goal. So I'm not talking about that sort of thing. 
I'm talking about when we completely diminish our light so that somebody else can feel comfortable. And as Latinas, we are brought up in that, in that kind of mentality that it's crazy how at the end of their life, we consider women like matriarchs, mm-hmm. but what they had to do to get there, like the armor that they had to build, to, that armor was built on like pain and suffering. And at the end of their life, we're calling them like these matriarchs, todo lo que sufrió, all she suffered. And really, you get one life to suffer the duration of the journey and to get like a little title of martyr matriarch at the end. What about the entire journey, man? Exactly. And what did that show your kids? What does that show your kids? And like you're saying, when you have all of these these lists of things, all of these sacrifices, ultimately, that drives you to want some relief. So hello, drinking rates. Yeah. I mean, just the stats totally. of how many women are drinking more since the pandemic hit to now. It's everywhere. Yeah. I'm happy there's actually articles on more mainstream media, like NPR just posted an article the other day, Elle magazine, because we have so many things on our plate at the end of the day, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to want that relief more than ever. If you're saying yes to everything, you're going to want that relief. You're going to crave, like you said, just to tap out. So I don't know. I think it's really cool that this conversation is being had more and more about how that's not, you know, that's not how you want to, how you want to live life. And that's not how you want to leave a legacy in your, in your generation, in your culture. So, yeah. Holly reposted somebody else's quote on Instagram. I don't remember the exact context of it, but I remember the one phrase that said to mothers that were drinking during pandemic, honey, you don't need alcohol. You need support. And I think it's so simple, but it's so huge. It's so huge. You don't need alcohol. You need support. You need you need your partner, you need whatever your support system is, like, you need something else that will be allow you to, like you said, sit with yourself without the need of having a drink. What is taking you to that place where you need this exterior substance to come in and calm your ass down? Like, what is happening on the journey there that you're not being supported, that you're being taken to your limit, Mm -hmm. that you need to get to that space. Like, can we discuss the journey that took you to that space? You know, overwhelming with the kids, with the school, with the husband, with the this. Can we discuss what is taking you to that space? And we can we try to fix it on the way there? And instead of getting there and telling you not to drink a glass of wine, like, let's not even get to the three glasses of wine you need to survive your day. Let's talk about the journey to get there, you know? Community support. I mean, we were talking about this offline, listeners. I saw Marcela not long ago, and I was telling her, man, I miss my family. Like, I I do understand, too, that what we were saying about alcohol and people managing their alcohol, they're badasses, they're strong. I think it's the same with this uh, concept of asking for help. You know, I used to believe that the more I can do by myself, I'll be seen as this cool, I can do everything, I got this, matriarch, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like... Courage comes from being like, I need help, guys. Like, I don't got this right now. Help me. I need help. Now I understand also flipping that script of it's not a weakness to ask for help. I feel like asking for help is so brave. And in asking for help, we can, like you said, probably get to the root of, well, here, let me carry some of this for you. And then you won't have to feel like you need your bottle of wine at the end of the night. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. You have to do the work to put yourself in the company of people that will be able to support you. Yes. So let, let me kind of break that down. Like it took a lot of work for me to separate myself from certain relationships and put myself, I, take, I, am, honor, I am proud of this, to put myself in the relationship that I am now. It took a lot of work to get here, a lot. I tell you on my mom in heaven, Never in my life I thought I was able going to be to be in a stable relationship with a man for more than nothing ever lasted for more than two years. Now I'm the school that it's been seven years and I'm going to die with this man. Like it is what it is. I I adore him. He's my life partner. Yeah, it took you doing the work to attract a different type of person to get here. It took so much work to get here. It took a lot of courage to face my flaws, my mistakes, my programming from my upbringing 
I had to, oof, there was a fire in me that needed to be extinguished that had to do with so much man hating. You have no idea. It had, it required a lot of humility on my part. It required a lot of reprogramming. I still work really hard on the issue. I have a tremendous issue with, with, you know, putting, letting the walls down and building a partnership. I'm much better at it now, but it took a lot of work to get there. And unless you do that work, you will not attract the people that have the strength and the values and the courage to support you. It is impossible to find that support if you are not willing to look at yourself and work on yourself because you're just the universe is crazy like that man it's going to keep throwing the same shit at you the same problems at you until you figure it out that's what's so majestic about this experience and that's why the universe and this journey like whoever created it is so wise like if i look back i'm like i repeated that same scenario Mm -hmm. 20 times until i figured it out and and that's we have to just sit back and see what's coming up and keeps repeating and have the humility to say, however I've been tackling this is not working. It's time to find a new way. Until you do that work with alcohol, with relationships, with your past trauma, with whatever, or this is my journey. Until I did that work, I wasn't able to put myself in this relationship because I put, these are choices I made. I put myself in this house with this man, with these kids, in this life situation, all of this was determined by my life choices, yes. but it took a lot of work to get here. And I like it here. This is good, but it was a hard, hard road to get here. Tell me, Marcela, when you say it took a lot of work, what does work mean to you? I know that you are someone who will pick up a book and start reading it. I know that you are like you have this self-starter mindset but are there any other things that helped you throughout the work? Like, did you ever go to therapy or what tools in terms of doing the work have helped you do the work? I did therapy earlier in my life. And I also found that it was very cyclical for me and it wasn't, it wasn't moving me out of the issues that I was in at the moment. So um, popular opinion, number two, therapy did not work for me. Mm-hmm. I am, I am a, a deeply, What's the word in English? Like studious? I don't know what the word is. Studious. I I find all of my solutions in books that has just been my path. Another massive, massive piece of my puzzle towards healing has been my jumping into the philosophy of yoga. I'm not talking about the physical practice, the asanas. I'm talking about jumping into the sutras, which is the philosophy behind yoga which breaks it down in such a simple, but just kind of magical way in terms of how the tips on how to live your life. That was life changing for me. I actually went into the course to to become a yoga uh, instructor, not with the intention of becoming a yoga instructor, but because that's how I am. I, because I really dive deep into things. I'm Mm -hmm. a little OCD in that sense. And I found a lot of uh, healing in, in that that in, in just the reading, the studying, the understanding, like I said, my relationship with my sister, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being too judgmental. Maybe she has functioned in some way as a therapist for me, because if, if the function of the therapist, one of the functions of going to therapy is to release yourself of certain things that you haven't been able to verbalize. That was my sister for me that through the past, you know, she's been my sister for 42 years. But it's not until the last maybe 10 years after my mom died that we really were able to dive deep into our childhood and the experience and the home that we grew up and what happened and what didn't happen and our parents and addictions. And I think in some ways she served as my therapist. So in that sense, if that's what therapy is, then God bless you. Go do it. Go get it. Go get it out of your system. Um, That's what was helpful for me. And also I'm I'm very, I, I do tend to make a point often to remind myself of the rewards that have come from my good choices Mm. from sobriety. And I say them out loud and I say them to Philip all the time. And isn't it great that we, that I'm awake and I don't have to be in bed and that I'm I'm not all bloated and I didn't do anything stupid. Like I'm constantly reminding myself of the rewards. I I mean, it may sound, sound silly, but jumping into this authenticity it gave me like these cooking classes 
because I have no fear about being myself. Like running a live show for two hours in your home where you can do and say, like, God knows it's a live event. But I'm so comfortable in this space now that I realize that being able to do that is a reward of the of the other things that I've been that I've mastered. Alcohol addiction being one of them. I am constantly reminding myself and verbalizing what these rewards have been. And they have been they have been incredibly huge. I love that. I love that because it's true that you keep reminding yourself, like you said, you put yourself in that house, you put Philip in your life, your kids. It's totally. very similar with alcohol. You know, it's those decisions. It's not until we zoom out that we're able to see it. So we do need those more repetitive day-to-day reminders and um, to, to keep us rooted in continuing to those to make those decisions. Like you said, it's all been a reprogramming of the brain and that takes time also not just work and willingness but it, it takes so time, much time so much time and and, yeah. and I love what you said I so I'm smiling when you say unpopular opinion because honestly one of the things we do here on the show we did a an episode a while ago about someone sharing how ayahuasca had helped on their journey and we lost a ton of followers and blah 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 but the bottom line is we are here to heal whatever that looks like for you, whatever the modality is, whatever the function is, it's, it has to be what works for you. Or else, once again, you're not being authentic to yourself if you kept going to AA when it didn't feel right. And then for someone like my yeah. dad, he has to go to AA every day to feel right. So it's like, it's so yeah. personalized versus putting this blanket yeah. statement. It has to be so unique yeah. to yourself. Yeah. And I, I, and I would love to be the person today it serves as an example that if AA did not work for you, it, it, it doesn't make you a failure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I, I, I read, a, I actually copied and pasted a quote that AA has, and this is not shitting on AA. This is me putting out an olive branch to the person that AA, that it didn't work for you. And the quote says, and this is why I found it so harsh to be a part of that program. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who did not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Mm. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. Could you imagine what that sounds like to somebody that failed uh. once, twice, three times, four times in the program? Back to the bar. That like person you- went right back to the bar. Right back to the bar if they if somebody happened to show them this paragraph. And like I said, AA has served hundreds of millions of people. That's awesome. But I feel like for some people, it's almost like you're for the people that keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. It's like it's like you're taking an antibiotic and and you become resistant to the drug, man. You have to find another path. It doesn't mean you're flawed. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you were born sick. It means it's not your path. And if I can be that person to say AA is not for you, and there is absolutely 100% multiple other paths that you can take, then go look for them. But don't give up because AA didn't work for you. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not an advocate for like psychedelics, but if that works for you, who am I to tell you to not take a damn psychedelic if yeah. that's going to help your path? You know what I'm saying? I I totally. I think we're so caught up in this idea of I have this vision of what it means to be on the right and proper path, and if you don't follow that same path, then yours is not right and proper. Totally. Like I've done enough work to know that there's a hundred million different paths. Exactly. And if I can be the person today to say I forged my path, and it's weird and it's different. And a lot of times I went 1,000 steps back and was only able to take two steps forward. That's okay. It was my path. And I think that's important. It's important to say, if it did not work for you, it does not mean you're a failure. If you're really having a hard time surrendering to this higher power that I believe in, by the way, but if you're really having a problem with that, there are other paths to recovery. There are. Again, recognizing that I've had loved ones that have had great success with AA, mm-hmm. but you have to be big enough and humble enough to understand that that's not the only path. You have to, or else it almost defeats the whole purpose of the program. You know, I, there's I have a big pet peeve of 
you know, we enter this arena of like, okay, we decided, like you said, you you start surrounding yourself, you start being in the company of people who are showing up the way that you're showing up, who are courageous enough to be vulnerable, courageous enough to face their shit. And then when there's judgment that starts popping up within those people, I'm like, wait, wait, what's happening right now? Like, how are we all of a sudden judging our ways when what brought us here was a total opposite thing? There's no room for that anymore. And and I think a lot yeah. of it comes from being okay with only worrying about yourself. I feel like I used to worry about so many other people. Now, I don't give, just like you said, I, I'm forging my path. I don't care what people think about it. I don't care because ultimately I'm in my head by myself. And that's the only thing that I can rely on when I'm going to bed at the end of the night, yeah. you know? And, and for a lot of people, stopping drinking is a journey. And I think to get into this idea that to not understand that drinking and the problem with drinking is also a spectrum, just like we talked about with trauma. For some people, maybe that journey to sobriety means a slow, slower journey yeah. where alcohol is left little by little and you don't need an external force to tell you that you're a failure and that you're sick and that you're useless. Um, or maybe they never say useless, but that you're sick because you fell that one time. Maybe that falling is part of the recovery. And maybe that falling was the last time you fell. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I hate this idea that it has to be so black and white. Yeah. And like you said, Life those isn't black and white. It's not. And those a thousand steps back that you said, a thousand step back and then maybe just two to the front. Those a thousand steps back are such big teachers as well. We're so resistant to seeing failure as a teacher. And there's so much value. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Maybe those one thousand steps back are a lesson that the universe or that your journey needs you to learn for you to get to sobriety. Like it's a it's and that's another thing that I get from my sister. She's my Jiminy Cricket all the time. Hmm. Like, don't even judge yourself. Everything happens for a reason. Everything. It's part of the plan. So don't feel so special. It is what it is. You did what you did. Tomorrow is another day. Like, and it's all a part of And if you're smart enough to kind of admit or acknowledge that there is something to learn in every single one of those failures or falls, then that's when life gets a little bit easier and more interesting. If you can, if you literally become a scholar of your fuck ups and you take a notepad and a pen and you literally just write down why you think you did what you did, what pain were you trying to hide? What happened? Who, who, who did I hurt? Why did I hurt them? Could you imagine we'd all have like doctorates on our, on, on our own lives by the time we were done with this journey. If we have the courage to take a step back and really try and figure out what there was to learn every time we fucked up. We need a t-shirt that says, I'm a scholar of my fuck ups. Just saying. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Because those fuck ups shape us. Like I said, and, and that's why social media is so, such a dangerous place because nobody really talks about the fuck ups. So you, 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 we literally, our kids are growing up with this idea that life can be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that, you know what I'm saying? And that life is beautiful and sparkly and totally filtered. And you're like, no, 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 honey. No, no, honey. There's dark and there's light and there's everything in between. And to get them to understand that in that darkness, they will be forged into what they will become. And that's the beauty of this, understanding that part of it, that it is in that darkness that we become what we are meant to become. Well, you are one of those accounts that definitely gives us little snippets into this darkness and non-filtered life. So let's just hope that there are more people that get brave and do the same, because I do think that this cultural narrative of everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. so harmful. Oh, Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a competition to see who's a better mama. And I and I play into that all the time. Like I'm posting my kids eating broccoli. Like I get it. But it's also important to, like you said, just kind of try and be truthful and honest for the sake of making real connections with people. Yeah. Marcela, thank you. We have a rapid fire round every time we do an episode. So we have about yeah. three quick questions in it, 30 seconds or less. If you can answer them, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah. If you could talk to Marcela, baby Marcela or young Marcela, what would you say? Everything's going to be all right. What is an unexpected perk of this journey? The sober journey? Yes. My health, getting my health back. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? There's there's more than one path, and it might take you a minute to get there. Just be patient and kind to yourself. Thank you, Marcela. Thank you so much. I can't wait to share this with everyone, and I had a blast. So thank you for saying yes. Uh, what a safe and beautiful and magical space you've created. I can't wait to share this with my followers. Gracias. 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 Bye. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to remind you that you are doing a great job. Even on the days where it feels like you're not, especially on those days. I hope that you feel empowered not only to take the steps you need in order to continue on this path, but also empowered to seek out and create your safe container. You deserve it. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, stay weird, stay goofy, stay you. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need? This is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself. Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out to be. Being must be felt. It can't be thought. Your inner purpose is to awaken.